Let me take a seat. So excited. Uh, this is my close to my first series. This is crazy. Um, but, like, that's a big deal. Like, for four weeks, I had to, like, be before God. Not that I wasn't before. It just means that this time, it, like, really meant something. Like, some people got that. Like, I could sin before, and it wasn't a big deal. But when you come up here, you see the light that hits me this way. But there's a light that comes from behind. There's a light that comes from behind, and once it shines through the person that's up here, you see everything that's on the inside of me. A lot of us want the platform, but we don't understand that there's this thing called glory that Bishop's been talking to me about this weekend. What glory does, we think that it's a light that shines on top of us and makes us great, but glory comes from behind you and shines through you. So if there's anything on the inside of you that's not supposed to be there, that's the first thing that people see. It'll make sense in a minute. But first, before I go on, um, can you give me more on this monitor, please? And can you turn me down? I'm really loud. Thank you so much. Uh, I have to say thank you, first of all, to our pastors. Um, and hold your applause. For, for 25 years, they've been teaching us. They have built this place. There are people that have joined us a couple of weeks ago, and there have been people that have been here since before this building was even here. And the big thing is that it's not easy for anyone to give, to give somebody else the platform. It's kind of like if you cook Thanksgiving dinner every Thanksgiving and you allow somebody else to make the macaroni and cheese. Like, it might be fire, but you, but you shake it while they're in the kitchen, right? Because you've given up your space. So I just want to honor my parents for not just allowing me, but trusting that, that God was going to give me something for this time. So thank you so much. Come on, you can do better than that. You can do better than that. Thank you. Um, secondly, Bishop, you're the man. That's my guy. That, that's, um, God knows exactly who to give you. Like, it's like when you're in something and you're worried about how it's going to happen, I think that God doesn't bring people to you because you're worried so much. But it's like once your mind gets off of what you have to deal with, God sends you people to help you in the work. Right? Okay. Are you guys ready? I'm ready to close this thing out. Anybody ready to close this thing out? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, no, we got to because Pops is home. Okay. This is the first thing uh, that I, I want to talk to you guys about today. Um, so I, I, can, I t can I tell you a story? I mean, I, I usually do anyway, but... I'm, I'm going to start with a story. So, um, yes, ma'am. Oh, no, I didn't. It's spelled right. She said you spelled it wrong. <laughs> gotcha. No, it's right. Here we go. So, growing up, um, I, I grew up in, in, the, in, the, in the neighborhood Benson. Anybody know, anybody know about Benson? So, the cool thing about Benson is that it's historical for three-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath houses. Awesome houses. Like, it was like the best community to grow up in. Anybody grow up in Benson or live in Benson ever? It's, like, beautiful. Like, people love one another. There's neighborhood. Like, I was able to play in the streets and whatnot. But the two things that Benson Homes and the, 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 area, the neighborhood is known for are two things. For, for their illustrious low fences. Like, you could literally, like, if you were a hurdles jumper, you could, like, hurdle through people's backyards. Like, the fences are so low. And the second thing were these giant backyards. So what would happen was uh, my dad would allow me, because we were in a community of a neighborhood, I could go outside and be back home whenever because I knew no matter how many doors down I went, it was the same protocol. So it didn't matter if I was at my house or six houses down. I couldn't be a fool in front of the other person's house because they cared enough. We used to live in a time where your parents were the only ones that could discipline you. We used to live in a time where somebody, like, like people that were not my parents, people that didn't necessarily have my blood coursing through their veins would parent me and tell me what to do. So in this point in time where I was living in Benson, I had this really good friend. He was one of my best friends at the time. His name is Josh J. 
So he would come during the summer, and his, his, his grandparents lived across the street from us. And it's weird. Like, as a kid, you don't think that people exist until you see them. So I was like, oh, he just exists when I see him get out of the car. Like, but people have lives, right? right? So he would come every summer, and uh, me and him would play in our backyard. And in, in Benson, there was this big, big issue with gardener snakes. Like, you couldn't walk 10 feet without seeing a snake. So uh, my dad would cut them with um, lawnmower. And, like, you know, be like, then all you hear was thump, 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 thump. Right? Chunks, people, follow me. Um, so th- at one point in time, uh, as kids, we weren't able to stay inside. So all of my young people, there used to be this thing called outside. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. So me and Josh Jay, we would probably go and find Caleb. We would bike over to the butler's house, and then we go get them. we go to Gallagher. we go swimming. But then we would come back, and we would play in the backyard. And our, our neighbor, is this good? Be all right? My neighbor had, um, uh, they, they had these two dogs. And they were untrained, these Doberman pinchers, right? The meanest dog, the meanest, the meanest dog you'd ever meet in your life. And uh, me and my friend Josh, we would play in the backyard. And every so often, the dog would do one of two things. He would either run through the fence and break it, or he would jump over it. So then at some point in time, my dad made a decision. He said, you know what, we got to fix this issue because the safety of these kids is more important than how much I got to spend on the fence. So he had a conversation with the people across the way that were our neighbors. And have you guys ever had a neighbor that just doesn't care? Like, bro, you keep cutting on my side of the grass, bro. Like, it's all curved. Like, stay on your side. Like, you know what I mean? Like, when they, when they shovel snow, they push it into your yard, and you're just like, what is going on? This was that neighbor. And every time that he would go by and ask them to chain up their dogs or to fix the fence, they would almost be disrespectful in saying, just stay on your side of the fence. You got me. So one day, Dad made the decision that he was going to go to Home Depot. Home Depot, as Callie would say at the time, because she couldn't pronounce it. And he went and he got some chain link um, fence, and he patched the hole. But when he patched the hole, he made the fence higher than before. I want to let you know that there are some fences that keep things out, and there are some fences that keep people in. I tell you that story to say that fences are what they can corral people, and and like at a festival, it can keep people safe. But at the same time, have you ever been someplace and you didn't have access to it? So the same fence that protects can also be the same fence that hurts people. Today we're talking about offenses. It took me three sermons to get here, but I really believe that the Holy Spirit is allowing me to talk about this thing as humans that we can't get past. The Word of God says that it's the small foxes that destroy everything. And I just want to let you know today, this is the end of my sermon, that today we're going to destroy all of the small fences. Because the fence was small enough for the dog to jump over and to get into places. But once the fence became too high, he couldn't even get into that place, right? Because we were being protected. But some of us have built our fences so high that people can't even see us anymore. Before, people were like, I don't know if this is the right service. Now people are like, oh, yeah, I'm in there. You in there? Okay, let's get to work. So fences do two things. I want you to write this down. They do one thing, which is keep things in for safety. The second thing that that fences do is that they keep things out, which is for protection. But today what I want to help unbox is to let you know that that there's no difference between safety and protection. There's no difference. A lot of us, we think that we want to keep people out of our lives, but God is calling them closer to us. And then we ask ourselves while we're by ourselves, but our fences are separating from the people that God's trying to call us into our lives. 
So where we left off, the last time that we spoke last Sunday, we understood that Jesus gave his life in Matthew 2750. Remember that season of isolation, Jesus went by himself. He says, it is finished, and now we're all saved because of that. But we also understand that the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't originally just to save us, but it was to declare dominion over the earth. Because we died, because Jesus died, once he died, he went to hell, right? He was there for three days. He grabbed the keys of dominion. He came back, and he gave us back the power that we had in Genesis. Remember? The power that he gave Adam in the beginning was that he was able to speak a thing and it just happened. That he was, being able to, he was able to walk with God in the cool of the day. There was a relationship between he and Eve because they were married and they had common unity. But after Jesus dies, after he dies, he realizes that he can't stay. Jesus understands. He says, okay, the reason why I died is so that something else or someone else can come and be with you. You ever been in a relationship or in a situation where somebody left and you didn't want them to leave, but you knew they had to? Like in your heart, you know, I, like I, I know you have to leave, but there's a, there's a separation anxiety that we go through as humans when it's time for somebody to leave, but we're so familiar with them that we don't want them to have like an empty space next to us. But what Jesus did is that he ends up sending us a comforter to fill that empty space, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Can you say offenses? Okay, and I spelled it right, because if you put an O and an F in front of it, it spells... Am I good, Mom? Okay. Here we go. Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Jesus, after he dies, he spends 40 days with the disciples and with the crowds of people. And he starts to teach them in 40 days what it's going, what it's going to take to keep their lives right once he's gone. Say, once he's gone. I want you to understand that as long as Jesus was on the earth, you had no power. As long as Jesus was on the earth working and doing miracles, we were basically unimportant. So I want you to understand this. Jesus had to go so that we would have dominion over the earth. So a lot of times we lie and we say that God is in control. I want to burst your bubble today and let you know that God is in control, but it's through your authority. So situations that you're going through, God has no power to come down and just change things unless you do something, which is open up your mouth and give him authority to do it. So that's why we believe when we walk into situations in our life, if somebody's sick, I should be able to speak something and God come through my words. I should be able to walk into my family, the person that's strung out, the person that's trying to figure life out. I should be able to say something and God infiltrate my words and free that person, right? I should be able to walk into the bank, look at my bank account and say, this is not, this is a little bit too small. Like, I need a couple of commas and zeros. Who am I talking to this morning? Like, you should be able to walk into some situations and tell it to change. My children are on drugs. They need to go to rehab. Yes, we do the practical things, but you should be able to walk in their room and say, you are called out of this dark place. Because the only reason that drugs were made was to dumb your God mind. Like, oh, my God. The only reason that psychedelic drugs, marijuana, weed, alcohol is to dumb you down. But it gives you this mental thing where you feel like you're high and you can beat the world. But God's like, no, 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 no. Like, you have always been that person. And you didn't have to pay $3.50 for a colorful drink with an umbrella to get it. If you understood who was inside of you, then you wouldn't be trying to put other spirits inside of you. Are we warm now? Is that enough stretching? Can we play the game? Okay. So Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples and his people telling them, he's like preparing them, like, I'm going to be gone. Like, I'm leaving. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, whatever. He's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm, I have to go. Because if I don't go, you have no power. There are some relationships that you're in right now that the person had to leave because you were powerless while they were in your presence. 
Jesus says, I don't want you to mourn me leaving. Rather, I'd rather you be more excited about what's to come once I'm gone. In this season, there are people that have left you, but I think God wants you to understand that that space that's next to you that's empty, it's not going to be empty for too long. That the right people at the right time with the right resources are going to step in that place, and it's going to be like that person was never even there. But I also believe that our God can redeem and reconcile relationships that people that left, they can also take that spot too. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, Matthew 18, 19 through 20. So Jesus is talking to his people, right? Say his people. Like the homies. He's like, look, I'm finna go again. They're like, you just died. Where are you going now? And Jesus says, to the place I was supposed to be at before y'all messed up. So he says, take this most seriously. Can you say that? Say, take this most seriously. Jesus says, a yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. Jesus, the first thing that comes out of his mouth once he sees him, he says this, I'm leaving, but I want you to know that you have power here on earth. People act like there was like this fight between the devil and God. And I'm like, why do we make God so weak? God went to, went to hell and took the keys and snatched him. And I think like for the, the three days that he was there, he was just dangling in front of him like, look, look what I got. And you, you can't have him. You know what I mean? So he says, you have power to, to do things on earth, but I have to go away so that you have the power. Is that clear? So he says, what you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. The first thing that Jesus says is not that you need to clean up your life. The first thing that Jesus says isn't that I'm going somewhere else and that, you know, you're, you're going to come with me. The first thing that Jesus says is that what you say to one another is eternal. Like, I, I, wa I want you to understand that, that Bishop was saying that we're a part of a community, and I want to let you know, have you, like, once you're in a family, what you say to people, they might not remember exactly how you said it, but they remember how it made them feel. I want to make sure that you understand that your family, the people that you're living life with, that the words that come out of your mouth only do one of two things. They either bring life or they... So Jesus understands this concept, and he says, now that I've given you back the power of Genesis 1, you have the power to say things and they happen, so I have to make sure I remind you that your words are powerful. So when you talk to one another in community, I need you to understand that what comes out of your mouth, you're just like God. And if I can curse something with my words, you can destroy somebody with yours. So when two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. I want, you, I want to break this down. A lot of times we read this, this scripture and it says where two or three are gathered together, that God is with him. But we forget a part. It says where two or three are gathered together and agree. A lot of us are in relationships that we don't agree in. And then we get frustrated when God doesn't show up. But God's like, I can't bless something that I didn't supply. When two people come together and agree, it creates an atmosphere that God can come into. This is why when you marry somebody, you make a covenant, which means that you're not going to look how you look always. You're beautiful, you're sexy, the sex might even be absolutely amazing. But what I'm marrying is the agreement that we made. Because at the end of the relationship, you're not going to be as beautiful when I see you. So I have to look at the agreement that we made. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many relationships are you in that don't have an agreement? Where you didn't sit down at the table and talk about what hurts you, what hurts them, what you're expecting and what they're expecting. Once you have that, I don't, if you hurt my feelings, I don't look at what you did. I go back to this sheet of paper that we call a covenant agreement, and I said, you agreed to be in relationship with me for this long. Our problem is that we use those little tiny things and we create offenses. So instead of going back to the agreement that Jesus is talking about, we take really small things and we start to build our wall. 
So then he says, and when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. Does that make sense? But I want to let you know that the enemy doesn't want this. Remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago that the enemy, like the, the devil, Satan, like he's not, it's not scary. Like he has no power because we're here, right? That the enemy, the only thing that he wants to do is still kill and destroy everything. He can only destroy. He cannot create. All he does is he takes the issues that we have in relationships and he makes them bigger to drive us further apart. So I want to show you something. There are only three parts of the enemy's plan. Only three parts. The first, his plan is to destroy. His approach is through division. And his method is through offenses. His plan is to destroy your relationships. So anytime there is an attack, an attack, there's a difference between being pruned and being attacked. Pruned means that it hurts, but it's something that has to happen. Attacked means that there's sorrow and there's grief and there's real pain. Because whatever God does, it doesn't come with sorrow. If it comes with sorrow, you can automatically check off God. It's not him. The enemy wants to destroy our relationships. And the, what his plan is, is to cause division. Do you understand how crazy the word unity is? Do you know how many things have happened in this country just because of that one word, unity? People are afraid of people coming together. They're even more afraid of people that come together and agree on something. Then they're even more afraid of people that come together, agree on something, then pull their resources and do something about it. I want to let you know that you and your 700 friends don't mean anything if you're not executing something. You're just a crowd of people standing in a, in a, in a space. But once you guys all are in the same line and you're running towards purpose, now the enemy says, okay, they're coming together for a reason. I have to split it up. His method is offenses. His method is really, really, really small things that we take out of context. But how many of you guys know that it's not, offense isn't made out of one piece? Offense is made out of a lot of small pieces. And if you don't watch out, if we don't watch out, the people that we're supposed to do community with will use our words to hurt one another and build fences in between us. So in John 10.10, it says that the thief comes only to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. So in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, he, he basically explains how our words and how community, Jesus that is, explains to people how community, how it could go wrong if you don't take care of the small insignificant things in between us. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not what? You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. In the New King James, it says that I tell you that any person who, who, any person who is angry at their brother has already committed murder. I want you to understand that when we are looking at our relationships, God looks at your heart, not what comes out of your mouth. Because we can lie to one another. You ever met a good liar? You ever met a good one? The only way that you know a good one is if they broke in your heart at the end and you realize, wow, they were playing me the entire time. But the one thing I want to make sure you understand is that you can't lie to God because God knows your heart. He's the one that created it. Jesus explains it. He says that if you have a frustration with your brother or your sister, you have already killed them. A lot of us in our relationships, we try to figure out why did the person leave, and it's probably maybe because of the words that you spoke to them. So did you, do you believe that sometimes we can give permission to treat us some type of way? You ever had somebody say something mean and terrible to you, and then after a while, once you get over what they said, you're like, I kind of deserve that one. Anybody? 
Sit back and look at them. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka. Can you say Raka? Oh, you rolled it. I'm going to do this. Say it again. Say Raka. This is a four-letter word. Four-letter words are curse words. Jesus says, just by saying something, you've murdered someone. Like, I want us to understand, and I want us to, to grab hold of the fact that when you say something, that there's power in your words. A lot of the things that are happening in your life, they're not the enemy. They're just the manifestation of what you said. Man, you're just dumb. And now you're trying to figure out why your children are failing in school. That's not the enemy, because the enemy isn't, isn't smart enough for your children. Remember, we're just like God. Remember, we talked about last week that God made us just a little bit lower than himself. So you're the smartest person on earth. But you can look at your situations and speak death into a, a place that's supposed to have life. And it's not the enemy, but it's us. Again, anyone who says to their brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, I, I don't want you to be afraid like, oh, my God, I cursed somebody out last night. I'm going to hell. That's not, what, that's not what's happening. The veil was ripped. There's a new covenant. Like, we can eat shrimp and lobster before you couldn't. Like, like we're in a new place. Can you say a new place? Amen. We're in a new place. There's a, there's, a, there's a different anointing that's on God's people today. God allows us to make a lot more mistakes. I want you to understand that God used to curse people for less. Like, for less. Like, for, for less. Like, people would, like, God would say, hey, I want you to go left. They would go right and drop dead. Aren't you glad for grace? Thank, thank God for grace. Because I'd be thinking some things sometimes. And all it was was a thought that sent the, the, the devil from, from heaven to earth like a lightning flash. Anyway, just a thought. So Jesus explains that even your words can harm. Raka, as a curse word, we, we, let's use certain derivatives of today that make sense. Some people say, I hate you. You ever heard that or said that before? You ever heard somebody say, like, never come back? Like, you're not welcome in this house. I can't believe you would say something like that. I want you to understand that if you're like God, that your words are supposed to loose and bind things on heaven and earth, but your words can also loose and bind people. Sometimes a word from God is what people need, but sometimes all they need is a word from a friend. Like, I want you to understand how important community is because we're not always going to be able to come to the altar and fix our issues. But sometimes we're supposed to come to another brother, somebody that's been through what you've been through. Remember, I said before that when you speak that God comes through your words. So if two or three people are together in community, you can take care of a lot of things on a Tuesday rather than having to wait five more days to be here on Sunday. But it's all about who are you connected to and are they connected to the source? Because if we're connected to one another, we're only going to lead each other into a hole. There's this term that I hear all the time is like, can the blind lead the blind? And people say... No. But yes, they can into a hole or into a pole or into a trash compactor. Being able to lead doesn't mean that you're supposed to be leading people. Just because you can walk doesn't mean that you should be leading people. Just because somebody had a word for you doesn't mean that they should be able to put their hands on you and speak into your life. What God is looking for us to do is have agreeance, which qualifies the words that come into your life. There are some people in our circles that they, you ever had somebody in your life that always knows what to say? Like they always know what to say. Sometimes that's not the anointing. Sometimes that means that they know how to talk themselves out of a hole. All advice is not good advice, amen? 
So the 23rd, the 23rd uh, uh, verse, he says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift, thanks, Bishop, because you, you, you were preaching my sermon. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there you do what? Remember that your brother or sister has something against you. What does it say? What does it say? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. And then what? First, first, first do what? Go. Not first tweet. Not first DM. Not first text your girlfriend. Can you believe what he said? I can't believe he would say that to me. All the stuff I've been through with him. No, no, no. He says do what? First go and do what? Be reconciled to them. And then what? Come and offer your gift. I want to make sure that you understand that just if, if you are in bad relationships that God won't even hear you. And we, we give the enemy all of this power saying that the enemy doesn't want me to do this. The enemy doesn't, oh, my finances are messed up. But wait a minute. What about that relationship that God called you to? Like the one that you messed up? It's not the enemy. It's the fact that you left relationship wrong. You can't leave the community and ask for the grace of the community to follow you when you leave. That's not how it works. I cannot leave my parents' house disrespectfully and expect them to come and get me out of a bind that I got myself in. But if I was sent from the house, I'm sent with the covering. Just because you're in a crowd of people doesn't mean that you have community. It just means that you have a bunch of warm bodies in a room. But when the warm bodies in the room are encapsulated by the fire of the Holy Spirit, now you have community. Because I don't have enough to protect you, but the God inside of me, the Holy Spirit that hovers over me, if all of us get together, there's a community of a hovering, like, like a covering, like a ceiling that can cover the entire nation. But the problem is, is that we don't want to agree. So he says, do what? First, go. You want a good marriage? Go and reconcile to the person. He doesn't even say ask for forgiveness. Like, I want to make sure you understand, like, God doesn't care about your sin. Like, I could see the people while he's talking to them, Dad. Like, like they're, they're, they're sitting like, well, well, what if I did this? God's like, I don't care about sin. I just died for that. Like, you're already free. Because I died, you're already free. You just have to accept it. Any place that you go where people make you feel like you're not worthy of the grace of God, you should probably leave that place. Any person that makes you, oh, my God. Any person that makes you believe that you're not worth the blood of Jesus, that's why we changed the, the part of the song, I couldn't earn it, but I deserve it. Yes, you did earn it. And you did deserve it. What father looks at his son and said that you don't earn my love? Like what? Like we forget the part that we're sons and daughters of the most high God. So I want to make sure that, let's do it right now. I want to make sure that you know, you, whoever's in the room that thinks that you don't deserve it, everything that God has for you, you deserve it. You already have it through faith in the spiritual realm. You just got to believe it. But the only way that you believe what God says is once you become in covenant with him, which is relationship. I can't walk into a gym with no membership and expect to use the equipment. Doesn't matter how bold I am, doesn't matter how much money I have, because what they're going to ask me first is, sir, where's your membership card? But I want to let you know, you don't have to pay three easy payments of $25.99 to get a membership card. Just by saying, God, I accept you into my heart right now in this moment, you're already a part of the club. Amen? There's nothing that you have to do to earn God's love. Like, that's so stupid. Like, it's so dumb. Like, God is this great God. No, he made you a little bit lower than himself. For him to reject you would mean that he's rejecting himself. Like, I want you to understand something this morning. 
A lot of people aren't rejecting you. They're just rejecting how holy you are, and you make them uncomfortable. When I was growing up, people didn't want to have, have me around them because I would mess up their high. The minute they were about to go do something dumb, they'd be like, all right, Williams, you need to go home. I'm like, dude, I want to get dirty. Like, I'm, I'm trying to sin. But, but I had community with some parents that made, they prayed this prayer. They said, in everything that he does, may he get caught. In everything that he does, even if he drinks the alcohol, God, I pray that it tastes like water. A lot of you, who am I talking to this morning? A lot of us, a lot of us have only been connected, in, I'm sorry, a lot of us have only been covered by the prayers of other people because my mother understood when you came out of this womb, you were covered by the blood of Jesus. Even if you don't believe it, God still covers you. So if we're in the right community, if you're in the right relationships with people, those seasons where you don't believe in yourself, your community will believe in you and that's all you need. Like, is this making sense? Worshiping here is dope, but 2 o'clock in the morning on Friday night, I need some people I can call. I need some people that I can call that can look at me and say, like, you know what, close your laptop and go to bed. Can we be real? I need some people in my life. You might need some people in your life. You know what, put the whiskey down. You don't need it. Because the whiskey is only there to dumb you down because you're made like God. Can somebody say hallelujah? All right. It's about to get real. It's about to get real. It's about to get real. So do you want a good marriage? Go first and reconcile to your wife. You want a good semester in school? Go reconcile them books. You want a good body? Go reconcile a, uh, go and reconcile a salad. I'm, I'm being so serious. Like, I, I, like, we are responsible for what happens with us. The Word of God says that we are the temple of the Most High God. So if we're made like God, why would God want to destroy you if you're a part of himself? You're believing God for something through faith. Go and reconcile it with your faith, not the enemy. Because the first thing that you have contact with shows how important it is. If God shows you something and the first thing that you go to is doubt, you show God that doubt is more important than what he told you. If God shows you something and the first thing that you go to is a friend to make you feel better about what God told you, then you show God that person is more important. Oh, my God. Whatever you have community with first shows God what's more important. My mom has this thing when she tells me something, she'll tell me keep this private because she understands if something that she's telling me is important, the first person that I go to shows her that I trust them more than I trust her sound judgment. It's very important who you're in community with. We trekking? We all right? I want you to understand that even your offering can be canceled because you're not in the right relationships. Jesus said, you have faith for a first fruit offering. God's, I've, God's like, I even showed you something. But before you give your offering, you need to go reconcile to your father. Well, he, he beat me and did all these other things. That's not for him. It takes one person to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. It takes one person. For me to forgive Kent, I love you, man. You're up front, so I'm going to pick on you. If Kent were to slap me in the face and I were to forgive him, I don't need him to be there for me to forgive. But for us to be reconciled to one another, there has to be a meeting. A meeting. The word of God says go face to face with your brother and call out the offense in one another. Not text them or email them or Facebook them. I honestly believe if you have a problem with me and you've DM'd me, I don't even take that as communication. 
Until you come to me in my face and we have a relationship conversation on what happened, and this is how it hurt me, well, this is where I was, well, I love you, and then we split up, we haven't had communication yet. Stop accepting sorry texts for things that broke your heart. If we were in a relationship, you would know how much this hurt me, and a sorry text wouldn't be enough. You would come to my face and say, you know what, I'm sorry, what I said was wrong. But we're too afraid to go and talk to people about the things that we've done. We're too prideful. We don't know how to humble ourselves and see each other as worth it. S-O-R-R-Y, that's great, but how much better would it feel, you know what, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I know I was wrong, but this is where, I, let me connect what I did to where I, was, where I was in the moment. Jesus wants us to understand that your offering, your life is directly connected to the relationships that you're in. God doesn't look at your offering, but he looks at the position of your heart. Can you say this with me? God deals with the posture of your heart. Pastor Henderson came, remember the guy with the awesome hair, and uh, uh, he, he spoke on first fruit. Do you remember when he said that what's in your hand doesn't matter when you're giving it to God? It's about how your heart feels. I could hand you $10 million, but if you know that I hate you, the $10 million doesn't mean anything. So God's looking at this thing of if you have problem in your community, it's so important that you go and you fix it. So then this is the second thing that God says. He says what? Settle matters quickly with your adversary. Time out. In verse 22, he said your brother or your sister. In verse 25, he says your adversary. You know what an adversary is? It's your enemy. I think God... Jesus is, is, is talking to them, but I think he wants us to get something that's subtle, that's reading in between the lines. Jesus said, if you don't deal with what was small in the first part of the argument, if it takes too long, the person who you were in community with and you had family could now become your enemy. Jesus, something so small, so like, like really small. I come from a family of very strong women. And if you're not a strong man, you will get punked. That's why my dad says we pray for her husband, because he's going to have to be that guy. There are some times where my sister can look at me a certain way, and just because how she looked at me a week later, I didn't understand why it was a big deal. But a week later, I can, like, choose not to give her love. And I don't know why, but I have to go back to remember this. She looked at me that way, and I took it the wrong way. But over that week of time, which we call time and space, my family member can become my enemy. The enemy understands something. If I can get you to think about something for a long period of time, and I can create space in between the two of you, I can destroy anything. But what we do as natural humans is the first thing that we, the, the, the first time that we uh, experience di uh, discomfort or we're frustrated, we do what? We take our time and we say, I need some. I just need my time and my space. And the enemy says, oh, bet, I'm taken care of. You say quit that? Oh, yes, sir. I thought you said quit that. I was like, all right, well, may the Lord watch between me and thee. <laughs> I was ready to get up out of here. That was that sit down and shut up card. I thought, I thought he was. <laughs> Do it while you are still together on the way. God says when the person hurts your feelings, in the moment, say something. Because the more time and space that it takes for you, like you, can I show you something? 
Chris, come here. This is my friend Chris. My man with the Gucci belt on. Let's get it. Me and Chris are in relationship. Chris does something or I do something that hurts his feelings. As we're walking, the analogy is that we still have time to fix it because we're still together. But then what happens is, is that we start to give space and time. And every step that we take away from each other, there's a gap. But you want to know the crazy thing? God's not just going to pick him up and bring him on my side of the table so he understands where I'm coming from. Did you get that? And God's not going to take me to his side so that I understand where he's coming from. You know what? And it's not going to be through prayer. It's not going to be God change his heart. God, God, you know what he did. God's like, no, 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 no. In the, in the same Bible that we were just reading out of, he says that you might think they, they have a thorn out of their eye, but you got a tree growing out of yours. Basically, that means that you see something small in them, but you don't even see the own insecurities in yourself. The only way that we come back to community is when we start to take steps towards one another. This is where healing comes. And then when I can shake his hand and say, I'm so sorry for what happened, now we can go our separate ways because now God is covering both of us. Does that make sense? Stop asking God to change their heart and, and ask God to change your direction of where you're going. Stop walking away from people so quick. If you can walk away from them that quick, you shouldn't have been in a relationship with them in the first place. If you can look at me dirty and then walk away without asking me any questions, that means that we weren't really in relationship. Remember when I said last week, if I had to smoke a joint or drink something to get you closer to God, then you would not be, you would not imagine how many messages I got from saved people that were asking me to show them that in scripture. It's crazy how, how, how separated we can become from our sin and look at people that are sinning and thinking that they're not enough. But remember what we said before, God's grace was sufficient for me, so it's sufficient for every other person that's here. You putting a needle in your arm and me eating an extra slice of cake is the same sin to God. And I got to get and drop down on my knees the same way that that person has to. I want to make sure that you understand that God is not afraid of your sin. The minute you think you're humble, you're not. The minute you think you're great, you're not. The minute you think you don't need any help, you need some. So he says, do it while you are still together because once you're away, it's going to be really difficult. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I, I want you to understand something this morning, that, that God understands that a lot of our lives can be down in the dumps based off of who we're connected to. And then listen to this. He says, truly I tell you, you have to figure this out with the person, because you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus explains bad relationships as a prison. You ever been in a relationship where you just couldn't get out of it? Where, where you felt like you were a slave to the person? Or you were slave to the commitment that you made even though the commitment doesn't stand anymore? So now your soul is tied to the wrong person. And once it's tied to that person, it can't be tied to the right one. God says that on the way... On the, way to, on the way to reconciliation, come together and agree and get that thing taken care of. But I, I want to make sure that you understand that it all starts with something small. So say, settle matters quickly. In all of your relationships, when somebody hurts you, the Word of God also says it's your responsibility to tell them. When you get hurt, if I hurt your feelings, I'm not responsible for coming to you. We've got this thing backwards where the person hurt me, they should just know. 
There are people in this room that have gone 10, 15, 20 years. They don't even remember why they don't talk to their grandmother. But they remember something happened where that person wronged me. I, I want to make sure that if you settle your matters quickly, you can walk in the harmony of the Holy Spirit with people in great relationship. Why would we want to condone ourselves to 25 years of being in relationship with somebody that we don't want to be with? But we do it in the church because we're the worst for it. Sister so-and-so, all they, the ushers ask you to sit in one seat rather than the other, and you curse them in your mind. And then you ask God why something's not working in your life. It's because you didn't understand relationship. In relationships, we're asking, man, you're a terrible friend. The words that just came out of your mouth now give me permission to be a terrible friend. If we settle our matters quickly, we won't really have to worry about, like, being in our lives and having people that we're tethered to that we don't want to have connection with. The enemy knows that the longer it takes for us to speak to one another, the greater his potential of victory. The enemy knows that if I can get you just to not talk, and that's why us men, it's the worst, because the enemy doesn't have to work on us. Sometimes it's not your husband, your boyfriend, your son, your brother, or whatever. It's just him, because naturally we don't speak. We don't talk. It's because it's difficult for us. It's because when I open up my mouth, I'm showing you my insecurities and my vulnerabilities. And if I show you that, I'm going to think that you think I'm weak. So I'm just going to be quiet. But I just want to make sure that you understand in your relationships, the more you talk, the less space the enemy has to get in between your relationships. If I would have taught this message the first day, y'all wouldn't be here. Like everything has been a step. Now we're dealing with you. Say you. We can make enemies out of who? Family. How many Christmases have been missed because somebody didn't say something 20 years ago? How many birthdays did somebody miss because there was an offense that you had against the other person, but you didn't say anything? How many relationships? I've had people that I've known for a very long time, just recently this summer, come up and tell me, like, you know what, well, you said something like 10, 15 years ago. And in my head, I'm like, I talk to a lot of people. I don't keep a tally of all the people that I've hurt. The minute I know I've hurt somebody, I apologize real quick. I give it to God and I move on about my day. But people, they want you to stay in that place and feel hurt forever. People, we get this thing of forgiveness. Like in order for me to know that you really care about me, you have to like grovel to get my forgiveness. Like we're a God. Like saying sorry, I'm, I repent and I turn from my wicked ways is not enough. Like we want people to beg and grovel to the point where like, okay, peasants, I will be your friend again. Like it's just like, no, that's not how it works. No, Jeffrey, get me my juice. No, no, no. That's not, that's not how it works. Get my juice. So look at your neighbor and say, we got the ghost. This is so good. Remember what we talked about, that Jesus was leaving, but he was going to send us a helper. In John 14, 15 through 17, Jesus basically explains who the Holy Ghost is, and I'll read it for you. He says, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. He says, I will talk to the Father, and he'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world can't take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for. Bishop said that before, that our eyes don't have vision. The world doesn't know what it's missing because it can't see it. But you know what you're missing because you know it through the Holy Spirit revelation. But you know him already because he has been staying with you and will even be in you. Jesus knew that some people won't be able to connect with God without meeting someone who knows him already. So he sent you the Holy Spirit so that you don't have to be in connection with somebody to feel like you're not alone. Remember how we talked about in Genesis that God made man, but he didn't make man because he felt alone. 
He made man because he gave him a purpose. I want to make sure that you understand that the only reason why you're on earth, there's two reasons. It's to fulfill your purpose and to, and to clean as many dirty people as possible. Your job is to do the God-given assignment that God gave you. And the second part is to lead all of these people that we think we're better than to him. Let me say it again. You're supposed to do what God told you to do. And then you're supposed to go and grab people out of their sin. Sometimes people won't want to be grabbed. Sometimes you got to sit with them in their sin. Because your sin doesn't affect me. I know how to get out of it. But in order for you to know God, you're going to have to see the God in me. And the only way that you're going to see the God in me is if I step into your mess with you. The minute we become afraid of sin, God can't use us anymore. Every time that God walked, Jesus walked into a church, you know what he was doing? He was kicking and flipping over tables. Jesus was the most comfortable with people that were outcasts. That's crazy. Everybody in this place that knows Jesus, that's absolutely amazing. But Jesus won't come because nobody, none of us really need him. So we need people in the room that don't know him so that it makes a purpose for God to be in our presence. So look at your neighbor. Say, you were dirty at one point in time. But now. Did y'all feel that but now? Don't become so separated from your sin that you forget what God did for you. So I want you to write these things down. When Jesus came, when Jesus left earth, he only left us with two things. You want to know what those things are? The Holy Ghost and each other. The only two things that Jesus left us was the Holy Ghost and us. So I want to make sure that you understand that marrying the wrong person is not the right way to go. Because there's still only two things that are required for you to be in community, which is the Holy Ghost and one another. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm stuck with you. You're stuck with me. But for the rest of our lives, we're going to start looking for different things to fill the place where God put the Holy Ghost in other people. I want you to understand that the people that are in this room, they are the most important people in your life. It might not be every person, but every person should connect with one person. And if you came by yourself, I want you to understand that just by being in the room, we already accept you. There are no hoops that you, there are no hoops you have to go through. You can be baptized, but through the power of the blood of Jesus, you're already taken care of. In some of our relationships, they're all saved just because I'm in the car. You're protected because I'm in this group chat. Any teachers in the room? This school is safe because I'm walking the hallway. This hospital is covered because I'm on the night shift. Like, Jesus wanted us to understand that once I give you the Holy Spirit, everywhere that you go is blessed. Everywhere you go, everything you touch, everything you see, everything you eat, everything you drink is blessed. But if you lose the, if you lose the, if, if you leave the community, then you lose the most important part, which is each other. Okay, Acts 2.42. You guys know about the day of Pentecost? This is at the end of the 40 days. So Jesus ascends, and he goes up to heaven, and people start crying. But before he leaves, he told Peter, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my church. He says, I'm going to give you my church, and Peter's name means rock. So I'm going to build my church on you. So the first thing that he gives Peter as an assignment is to teach at the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost basically is called the Feast of Weeks, and it's the end of the grain harvest. It's, it means that God really blessed us, and we have enough food to give people. Uh, so Paul, I'm sorry, Peter instructs the people on how to conduct themselves 
during this time where Jesus is away. Remember the only two things that God gave us was what? The Holy Ghost and each other. So in Acts 2.42, this is the first this is the first sight that we see of the church. The church had nothing to do with praise and worship and somebody standing here and teaching you. This is what the church was. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of, of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were what? Together. And had what? Everything in common. So they had community, and they did what? They agreed with one another. Just because you're around some people doesn't mean that God's there. Until you agree, then God steps in. So they sold, they sold property, like they sold everything and their possessions to give to anyone who had need in the community. Not to everybody on the outside, in the community. That's why some people, they come to the church and they want the resources of the church, but they've never been to the church. You can't come to my house and beg for food and I don't know you. And you can't be upset with me when I don't feed you if I don't know you, even if you're hungry. But if we have relationship and you come to my house hungry and I don't feed you, now you can be upset with me because we have community. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising and enjoying the favor of all that God was doing with his people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to show you something. There are five devotions. I want you to write these down. The first thing that they devoted themselves to was good teaching. Not okay teaching, good teaching. If every time you hear the word of God, it's about salvation and how terrible you were and how dirty you were and you need to get right with Jesus, it's the wrong teaching. It only takes one time to get right with God. After that, we don't have to talk about salvation anymore. You're, you're clean. The word of God says that you were once sinners. Once you get saved, you're no longer a sinner. You're a child of God who sins occasionally. Number two, they devoted themselves to what? One another. Devoted themselves. Like, I'm making a covenant with you, Caleb, that if you go outside of this relationship, I'm coming, coming for you. Because I love you enough. The third thing that they devoted themselves was, was what? Intentional resourcing and financing. They said, if you need something and I, need, and I got it, if we're in communication, you should never have to want for anything. In this room is what you need. And nine times out of ten, it's not on the stage. Number four, they worshiped and they ate together. Number five, the Lord added to their numbers. But the problem that comes with us is that we nurse and rehearse. How much time do I have? I'm done? Okay. Okay, that's fair. What we do is we nurse and we rehearse. Can I do my, can I do my, um, I, okay, can you bring me my stuff? Really, uh, my. We nurse and we, we, uh, we rehearse. What we end up doing is that we look at the small things in our lives and we nurse and rehearse the bad parts that happen and we don't want to get over them. So I, I just want to show you something really quick. Is that, is that okay? Okay. 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 So the title of my sermon is what? Fences. A lot of small pieces coming together to build barriers in between us and people. A lot of us, this is what our lives look like. Could you stand there as well? Somebody hurt me, somebody frustrated me, somebody left me, and the other person, uh, they, they broke my heart. And what happens is, is that we begin to build barriers in between us and the people that God has called us to. And then we, 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 try, to, we try to reach the person, but at the same time, I still have to support what hurt me with the person. 
what I want to make sure that you understand today is that what God wants us to do with these offenses, how somebody hurts you, is he wants us to drop them. But what we do is we, once that one's dropped, we find another one. We, we, we find something else to be upset with so that when we, when we try to reconcile to one another, I got to reconcile you through how you hurt me. And it's always going to be awkward because my only point of contact is what you did to me. But then God wants us to do what? Drop them. But then, because we're always, in relationships, you're always, like, possibly going to get hurt. So then something else happens. And I, and I take this. But then I remember what you said last time. And, and, now, and now what I'm doing is, no, don't help me because this is how dumb we look. This happened two and a half years ago, but in order for me to build up this wall, I still have to support it. So I have to use my brain energy to remember what happened. So then what happens is, is as we start to remember all these things that people did to us, that th we end up using these things to create a wall and we fence ourselves in. But what would happen if, please come here, Mr. Lamont, if I used what happened to me and I built a wall around the person? What if... Instead of taking how the person hurt me and blocking them off, we use that as an experience to make our relationships stronger. What God wants us to do is not just to drop our offenses, but to use that experience to protect one another, not to build each other out. Can you stand to your feet? Thank you. Can you please go to Philippians 2.13? So a lot of us, we're, we're probably trying to figure out, like, how am I supposed to do this? One thing that we understand is that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his. The Holy Spirit came so that you would have somebody to coach you in your relationships. 